Jesus, y'all know that, right? It's really about, hey, if God has fulfilled his promise to send the Savior into the world, then he will fulfill his promise to come again to rescue us out of this world. So we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the birth, because it's a promise that was fulfilled and that we can trust in his future promises, that he will return to come take us home. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's what Advent is, a looking forward to a promise being fulfilled. But in the meantime, we still have a king who sits on his throne. No matter what we face in this life, no matter what we go through in this life, he, we talked about last week that he is our protector, right? I talked about how Thanksgiving, my house got, because of my neighbors being drug dealers, our house got shot up, right? And just to think, to think about those 15 bullets that could have hit us, God protected us and kept us safe. Like it was just, it was incredible. Just to look back on that and look at the, the protection of God, the sovereignty of God and control of the people. That those who follow him are under his wing, right? So we have a king who sits on a throne that is a king who protects us. And this week we're going to talk about, about a king. But before I talk about the king, um, I thought it would be interesting to see what kings, earthly kings and queens say about the king that we worship. Especially one in particular, I figure this might be a good memorial for Queen Elizabeth. So Queen Elizabeth II, in her 2011 Christmas broadcast, um, every Christmas, she used to do a Christmas broadcast. And this is what she said in her 2011 Christmas broadcast. She said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that, sometimes, uh, that we sometimes need saving from ourselves. Say amen to that one, right? We need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. But God sent into a world a unique person. Neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with, a, with the power to forgive. With a, but a savior with the power to forgive. You see, we're all in here looking for forgiveness in one way or the other, right? There's things this week that's probably popped up that you've done in your past, or maybe you've done something this week and you're like, oh man, I screwed up big time. You with me? Like, I should not have done that. But we're all looking for forgiveness in, in some form. Liberation from our past mistakes and liberation from our shame and the guilt that follows some of those choices. Or maybe it's not even shame or guilt from something you've done, but maybe something that was done to you. You feel shame and regret for. But we're all looking for forgiveness in some way. All of us. But see, here's the thing is that as kings and queens of old, kings and queens of old, they would, they would fight for the liberation or the, the, the freedom of their land and their people. But the only difference out of all the kings and queens that I've studied throughout history, there's only been one king who laid down his life for his own people instead of sending others out to die for them. And that's our king who sits on the throne now. Our king fights for us. Our king fights for us. I only know of one king who decided to die for his people. And we're going to talk about that king today, the king of forgiveness. And in fact, um, in Matthew 1.20, um, this is what Matthew tells us about this king entering the world. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, talking about Joseph, in, a, in, a, in, in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Savior, 
Some translations say Jesus. Some translations, if you read them in Hebrew, says Yeshua, which all means Savior. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Savior, for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened so that what the Lord spoke through his prophet would come true. It says, and this is what the prophecy says. Listen, a virgin will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us, or God with us. You see, we're all looking for peace, right? We're all looking for peace from our past, peace that can only, and it's peace that can only come from the forgiveness that comes through our King, Jesus. It's this King that laid out his life for us. It's our king who has the power to forgive sin. And no other king or no other person can do that. See, we're all, we're all looking for, for peace from our past. Peace that can only come from this king, for forgiveness from this king. In fact, this king is searching out for your forgiveness. Like he wants to forgive you of your past and the shame that you carry. It's why he looked, and like I read a couple weeks ago, in Luke 19, 41, he says, When Jesus caught sight of the city, he burst into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem. Why? Why? Saying, if only you could recognize this day, peace is within your reach. Like today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you have lack of peace in, there is peace that is attainable today through Jesus. We're going to look at a story, though, today, because... Jesus' Jesus's, uh, authority to forgive sin was always in question when he was, when he was living. We're going to look at a story where Jesus proves through his kingship he has authority not only to break our preconceived notions on how we believe God works, but also, also the fact that he has all authority to forgive your past mistakes, regrets, and shame. And the story begins like this. It says this, Luke 5, 17. One day, many Jewish religious leaders known as Pharisees, along with many religious scholars, came from every village of Galilee throughout Judea and even from Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach. And the power of the Lord surged through him to instantly heal. Some men came to Jesus carrying a paraplegic man on a stretcher. They attempted to bring him past the crowd to set him down in front of Jesus. But because there were so many people crowding the door, they had no way to bring him inside. There was something about Jesus that was attractive, that draw that drew people to himself. Like he, there was something about him that people wanted to be around. Like if I could just get in the presence of Jesus, everything else would be fine, right? There's a couple of things that I want to point out here because there's some dynamics here that sometimes we read stories like that and we kind of just like kind of look over. Um, but these guys who were carrying this man were taking a big risk. Because in that culture, in that time, what people would have thought was this man was lame, this man was paraplegic because of either a sin that he committed or the sins of his parents. That's why like, when, when you read the story of the man who was uh, born blind, and it says who sin, when they, the disciples ask who sinned, this man or his parents, right? That was the culture. So these guys were taking a big risk by even helping this guy because they would have been considered unclean as well. The, the culture that day would have just said, this man is scum, this, man had, this man's condition is caused by his parents' sin or his or sin. And I'm sure this man, this man who was paraplegic, growing up, in, growing up in that society and that culture in that time would have probably 
carried some self-shame, not only because he would have to depend on anybody else for a living, but because he had been taught all his life is either you have sinned or your parents sinned, that's why you're like this, right? And he probably has prayed, God, forgive me of my sin, forgive me of my sin, forgive me of my sin, Uh, whatever my parents have done, please don't hold that against. Like, I'm sure he spent years of his life just going, God, I'm trying to figure out what sin caused this in my life and carrying the shame of that as he, as he went. But these men who would, would have carried him would have been outcasts as well because of their association with him. But I love, I love this next part of this story because it just, anyway, she'll tell you. It breaks every stereotype, right? And it makes me wonder sometimes why churches are so harsh on people who are sinners, and we should show them the love of Christ, like we were shown love, right? Verse 5, 19, it says, But because there were so many people crowding the door, they had no way to bring him inside. So they crawled onto the roof, dug their way through the roof tiles, and lowered the man, stretcher and all, into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Just imagine if you're sitting in that room for a minute, right? Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, just debris is starting to fall from where they're digging through the roof. They're digging through the roof, like, it's just crazy. And all of a sudden, you see this, this, these group of men just with their heads inside of a hole. He goes, he, it says, go, go on back to the last verse thing. Verse 19. Lowered, they lowered the man's stretcher and all into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing the demonstration of their faith, Jesus said to the paraplegic man, my friend, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith was that? Was it his faith or their friend's faith? Their friends. It was their faith. And here's and this is a side note, and this is not part of the sermon today, but I thought I would add this in here if you're taking notes. And we'll say it twice because it's kind of long. Our faith should drive us creatively, urgently, and sacrificially with persistency to get our friends in the presence of Jesus. Because maybe our faith of just getting them in the presence of Jesus could change their life forever. Change their lives forever. Our faith should drive us creatively, urgently, sacrificially, and with persistency to get our friends in the presence of Jesus. Like, I want this to be a place where people just come and experience the presence of Jesus. I want your home to be a place where people step across the threshold and just feel the presence of Jesus. Because if we can just get our friends in the presence of Jesus, they can just taste and see that the Lord is good. They can just taste and see how good he is. We've got to get our friends in the presence of Jesus because it's in the presence of the king that everything changes. With that one statement that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, this man's eternity is forever changed. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Number one, what did they come there for? They wanted their friend healed. This man, probably in anticipation, as he's being lowered, freaking out if they're going to drop him or not, said, it's thinking, man, I'm about to get up and walk today. And the first thing Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I'd, part of me would have been like, if I was that paraplegic man, I would have been like, um, that's great. But what about now? Like, what, what can I, like, can I stand up and walk now? Like, that's what I came here for. Like, I'm, I'm thankful that my sins are forgiven. Like, that's just the flesh part of me, all right? But there's, there's somebody else. There's something else that, uh, that's causing kind of a problem. And if you notice at the beginning of the story, 
there's all these religious leaders. And in their minds, they start to question Jesus' phrase, your sins are forgiven. This is what they said. They said, the Jewish religious leaders and the religious scholars whispered objections among themselves. Who does this man think he is to speak such blasphemy? Right? It said, and then they go on to say, only God can forgive sin. Does he think he is God? Does he think he is God? They are questioning Jesus' authority here. As king and as savior, he does have the authority to do so, but they don't believe him. Right? Like they, they could care less about this man's plight of not being able to walk. They could care less about, all, all they cared about was they believe that Jesus just committed blasphemy because he has no authority to forgive sins because they believed him just to be a man. Actually, they believed him to be a fraud. That's what, The reason they were coming to listen to him teach was because they wanted to catch him in a lie or catch him in a fraud. That's what they were doing the whole time. You read the story of Jesus. And they were like, oh, we got him. We got him right here. What's Jesus' response? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, which is scary, right? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, why do you argue in your hearts over what I do and think that it is blasphemy for me to say to the, that his sins are forgiven. Let me ask, which is easier to prove? When I say your sins are forgiven or when I say stand up, carry your stretcher, and walk? And Jesus turned to the paraplegic man and said, I want to pause right here. Just saying, don't go to the next one. This is very, I just want to point out something to you real quick. Of course it is easy. It's easy for anyone to say your sins are forgiven because there's no tangible proof. There's nothing you can touch and feel and see that you can't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, t- it takes months, years, to even for some, even a new believer to even show, start st- showing that their life is forever changed, right? So there's no way for them in that moment to go, oh, his sins are forgiven because there's no tangible proof. This is what Jesus is saying, which is easier to prove for me just to say your sins are forgiven or to tell this man stand up and walk. Because if I tell him to stand up and walk and he doesn't, then you'll know that I'm a fraud. Right? Is that, is that understood? Understood? Like, Jesus does the hard thing first before he does the easy thing. Well, to him, easy. But to our mind, he did the easy thing first. Because you can't, it's hard to prove that. Right? Watch. Watch what happens. Prove to you Prove to you all that I, the Son of Man, had the lawful authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you now, stand up, carry your stretcher, and go on home, for you are healed. For you are healed. Now this title that Jesus uses here for himself is found in the book of Daniel, where Daniel sees a vision of heaven, where he sees the Ancient of Days, or God the Father, sitting on his throne, and... and one that appears to be like the Son of Man, Jesus, pacing back and forth before the throne. Right? He's referring to this, to his 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 rightful place in the authority in the Godhead. Like he, he, Jesus saying, "Me being the Son of Man," is him saying, "I had the same authority as God in heaven because I am God." Right? So, like the the religious leaders would have known that in that day because they were know, of known of Daniel of seeing. 
the son of man walking. So he, he is telling them, I have the authority. He, in fact, he goes, my authority is far above this earthly authority, but it's a heavenly authority. My kingship is not of this world, but of heaven. And I have the authority to forgive sins. Because, and here's the thing that we find out, is not only is forgiveness available, for, but forgiveness and healing both flow from our king. Because not only does he say, your sins are forgiven, but he says, stand up and walk. Stand up and walk. So, and there's somebody here that may need, or maybe somebody listening to this later, that may, that may need some healing from their past mistakes. They may need some, their shame removed, or it may, it's maybe, not, it's, maybe it's because of something done to you. But here's what I'm telling you, is that there is peace in the presence of the king. I bet for, in a moment, I bet in a moment this guy felt ultimate peace. Because not only was he saying your sins are forgiven, but you are, there's healing that comes along with it. Now stand up and walk. Now he, had, he has one role to do, and what was his one role? To stand up and walk. Because anytime God wants to perform a miracle, anytime he, want, he, he, wants, he wants forgiveness, he wants to forgive you your sin, he calls you to do something. And it's to stand up out of your comfort zone. This man hadn't walked in who knows how many years. So not only was he trying to prove something to this man who thought he was, would never would never be healed, would never, never be part of society. But he was proven to these religious leaders that he has all authority, authority above even their authority. So he tells them to stand up and walk. But I want you to imagine being this man for a minute. He was held by the very law of these religious leaders. He said, you are nothing, you're worthless, you can amount to nothing because of your sin that led you to be in this place. I can imagine with me for a minute, him laying there, in front of these people who had told him his whole life that he was scum. That God had turned his back on him because of sin. I can imagine with me for a minute. And now you're laying in front of this, this guy who they call the Messiah, they call a rabbi, they call the teacher. And for the first time, he feels accepted. Because instead of judgment, he found forgiveness. Instead of, instead of judgment, he found love. Imagine with me for a minute. He says, that's what he just says to the religious leaders. This guy laying out in front of him. He says, to prove to you all that I, the Son of Man, had the lawful authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you now, Stand up, carry your stretcher, and go on home, for you are healed. In an instant, the man rose right before their eyes. He stood, picked up his stretcher, the very thing that would, would have been his sign of shame, and went home, giving God all the glory with every step he took. The people were seized with astonishment and dumbfounded over what they had just witnessed. And they all praised God, remarking over and over, incredible, incredible, what an unbelievable, unbelievable miracle we have, we have seen in, in uh, Mark's version of the story. It says they, like, they were utterly speechless. Not at just the miracle, but that Jesus proved that he had the authority to forgive this man's sin and to forgive our sin. 
Verse 27 says this. Afterward, Jesus went out and looked for a man named Matthew. Everybody knows the story of Matthew, right? Matthew, the tax collector. Afterward, Jesus went out and looked for a man named Matthew. He, he found him sitting at his tax booth, for he was a tax collector. And Jesus said, be my disciple and follow me. So pause here for a minute. Matthew was this Jewish boy who worked for the enemy. He worked for their oppressor. So he, like, I don't know if you notice any time it talked about sinners and tax collectors in the Bible, he put tax collectors in a whole different, like a whole different category. It would say he hung out with sinners and tax collectors because we all hate IRS, right? So, like, he would have been hated. He would have been, he would have been the per- he would have been the very person we would tell our friends and family or our kids not to hang out with. You with me? And Jesus looks at him and says, be my disciple and follow me. Or you can say it like this, I forgive you, now come follow me. You get the story of the paraplegic man and you get the story of Matthew and it goes on to say, as they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead telling them he was going to a distant place. But Matthew wanted to throw a banquet to honor Jesus. Why? Because he was the first time he'd ever felt accepted from anybody. First time he'd ever felt forgiveness from anybody. Matthew wanted to throw a banquet and honor Jesus, so he invited Jesus to his home for dinner, along with many tax collectors and other notable sinners. While they were all sitting together at the table, the Jewish religious leaders, because they're experts and experts of the law, complained to Jesus' disciples, why would you... Why would you defile yourself by eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't Jesus know it's wrong to do that? So here's the thing. All of us come in this room with preconceived notions on how God works, how Jesus works, and what Jesus should and shouldn't do, and who he should and shouldn't heal. And I'm just here to tell you, you need to take God out of that box because God may want to do something in your life that you wouldn't even think, dream, or imagine because you're so held tight by what tradition says instead of what the Word says he will do. Doesn't Jesus know it's wrong to do that? Like, Jesus is the one who wrote what was right and wrong. I think he would know if it was okay to eat with tax collectors and notable sinners. And here's why. I think Jesus answers this perfectly. Jesus overheard their complaining and said, Who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick? I have not come to call the righteous, notice it's in quotations, because these men would have thought they were righteous because of their own acts of doing what they thought was right or what God told them to do. He's Jesus saying, it's almost like him going, I come not to call the righteous or you guys, but to call those who failed to measure up and bring them to repentance. You may feel like a failure here, you may feel like you don't measure up. You may feel like, like you, like, like I, I, I hate hearing the story. Well, I'll clean myself up and then I'll come to God. No, 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 no. That is His job. He, is, he says, "I'm calling the ones. I'm forgiving the ones who don't measure up. I'm calling the ones who say, who say, like I, I'm not good enough. In fact, you're right. You're not good enough. 
you realizing that you're not good enough makes you a great candidate for the king who sits on the throne of forgiveness to forgive you because you're not basing your forgiveness on what you can do but what he has done. There is peace in the presence of the king. Matthew felt peace for the first time in his life. This man, this paraplegic man, felt peace for the first time in his life. We have a king who protects and a king who forgives. And you're here this morning and you need forgiveness. There's that thing that's been in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart that Satan just keeps grinding at. And I want you to hear me say this, and God's given me permission to tell you this morning that you are forgiven for that, whatever that is. You are forgiven for it. Quit living your life in shame. Quit living your life in shame. Trust me, I spent 20 years living in shame. It doesn't, it doesn't fare well. God has a plan for you, a plan for your life that is, that is far more greater than anything that you can even think, dream, or imagine for yourself. But we get so held back sometimes because we can't even forgive ourselves for things that we've done in the past or that have been done to us in the past. And here's Jesus telling you, let it go. I'm here for you. Let me make you righteous. And all righteous means is a right standing before God. That's all righteousness is. Let it go. Quit trying to fix it yourself because you're only going to make it worse. You're going to cover up shame with more shame with more shame. And all, all he's telling you to do is let it go. I forgive you. Don't hold on to it anymore. Stand up and walk. Stand up and walk. Pick up the very thing that you call shame and let that be a beacon of hope to the rest of the world that we have a king that forgives. Well, I know your story, Derek. I know how bad you were back when you were. You're, you're right. And look how much God's brought me to today. Well, Derek, I know you... You used to, um, you can't tell anybody at school I'm about to say this. Promise? You promise? Listen, when I, I say, when I was, oh man, I, I don't know if I should say <laughs> Listen, when I was in school, I, I'll, say, I'll say it, PG, I slept with everything that breathed. Why? Because I was trying to cover up shame with shame with shame because of stuff that's happened to me when I was a kid and I'm just sitting there going I've spent 20 years of my life just going I get affected every part of my life from my relationship with my wife to relationship with my kids and it, I mean, it still has effects on that today but like it, it changed the way that I interacted with people because I tried like the shamefulness of me trying to cover up shame with shame with shame with shame and I finally had to learn that if Jesus can forgive me, then I can forgive myself. If the Savior of the world can forgive me, who am I not to forgive myself? So whatever you're holding on to, you are forgiven and you need to forgive yourself. Life is too short to constantly live in shame. There's a world out there that needs an impact. And you are the very, like, you were born for a time as this. And the one thing that our enemy wants to do is to constantly remind you of your past and how it's going to affect your future. Like, how, how can God use you in that way? 
And Jesus is on the other shoulder just saying, you're forgiven, just forgive yourself. The creator of the world says you are forgiven. The king accepts you into his court. Leave your shame at the door. Forgive yourself. Forgive your past. And when you can learn to do that, you know we say it often around here, be the church where you live, work, and play. Revival will start. But it starts with you forgiving yourself because you're already forgiven. Revival always starts with me. Revival always starts with you. He wants to change you. He wants to change those around you. Quit holding on to your past. Quit holding on to your shame. Because our King not only protects, but He forgives. Um, the earth receive her King because He's accepting you right where you are. You don't need to stay there. Clear, we don't need to stay there. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. You with me? But he accepts you where you are. With that nastiness and everything that's dangling off of you, like he accepts you. And he says, I will come to make you righteous. I will forgive you. I will wipe that slate clean. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, how many of your sins are future sins when Christ went to the cross? All of them. So he knew how screwed up you would be. He knew how screwed up I would be. And he knew how many times we would fail. And guess what? He still chose to do it anyway. Because he wanted to forgive us. He wanted a kingdom of forgiveness. To God, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here today.